Hello, everyone. This is Ade. Thank you so much for joining me and welcome back to Five Tree Christmas Podcast. Today, I've got a really exciting episode for you. A lot of you have been on my Instagram and in my DMs asking me for my review and my reactions to the show Bridgerton. Well, Excited to share with you that I invited some of my favorite people, my siblings, to join me as we have a really in-depth conversation about what we liked and what we didn't like about the show. I hope you'll enjoy our conversation as we chat about one of the shows that rocked 2020. Stick with us to hear what we've got to say about Bridgerton. All right. So before we get too deep into the episode, of course, I wanted to read a synopsis. So this is a television show and there are eight episodes. I won't do a synopsis for each episode, but I will do kind of an overall synopsis for the show. Here we go. So Bridgerton is inspired by Julia Quinn's best-selling novels, which follow the courtship fortunes of eight well-to-do siblings in Regency England. The first season of Bridgerton follows Daphne Bridgerton, played by Phoebe Dinevor, and she's the fourth child and eldest daughter of the powerful Bridgerton family as she makes her debut onto Regency London's competitive marriage market. Hoping to follow in her parents' footsteps and find a match sparked by true love, Daphne's prospects initially seem to be unrivaled as she's singled out by Queen Charlotte as the pick of the debutantes for the season. But as her older brother, Antony begins to rule out her potential suitors, the high society scandal sheet written by the mysterious Lady Whistledown casts aspirations on Daphne. Enter the highly desirable Simon Bassett, the Duke of Hastings, played by Regé Jean Page. He's a committed bachelor and the catch of the season for the debutantes mamas. As Daphne's suitors start to disappear and the Duke is hounded by ambitious mamas looking for him to marry their daughters, Daphne and Simon form a pact in hope that it will attract more suitors for Daphne and get the mamas to leave Simon alone. But things don't go according to plan. Despite proclaiming that they want nothing that each other has to offer, their attraction is undeniable and sparks fly as they find themselves engaged in an increasing battle of the wits while navigating society's expectations for their future. Bridgerton is romantic, scandalous, quick-witted, And it's a series that celebrates the timelessness of enduring friendships, families finding their way, and above all, a search for true love that conquers everything. So before we get into the conversation, I wanted to give a brief trigger warning for a few touchy topics that we'll touch on in this episode. First, trigger warning for discussions of rape and sexual assault. We will discuss them at length in this episode, and if that makes you uncomfortable, of course, feel free to fast forward through that. We also will be having some pretty physiologically correct discussions about sexual intercourse, and so if that is something that makes you uncomfortable or if you're listening with children, this might be something to fast forward through or listen to at a different time. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. This show, Bridgerton, it's a global phenomenon. Many, many of you have DM'd me on Instagram wanting my thoughts about this show. And, and I thought, you know, what better way to, to discuss this show and all of my thoughts than to bring on the two people that I love to talk about stories with the most, my brother and my sister. So, uh, Abby, me, welcome back to Five Tree Christmas. Thank you very much. It's always good to be here. Indeed, indeed. It's good to be here talking about a show we all love. 
I am so excited to have you both back. Um, you know, I think we've we've talked a lot offline about the show. I've, you know, dug in deep to like the YouTube videos, the behind the scenes. I follow the actors and the show creators. You guys are a little bit lighter touch, um, but it, I still st- I still think it's going to be a really good conversation. Um, so let's start with let's start by talk, just talking about our overall thoughts about the show. Um, let me start with you, Nee. Why did you watch? Um, and uh, what did you think of the show generally? Um, why did I watch? Well, over the Christmas break, when we were all together, um, it's something that you just kept, kept talking about over and over and over, staying up till all hours of the night watching. <laughs> I watched um, it in one day. <laughs> so I just kind of, kind of kept getting more and more interested. Plus, just seeing like the little parts that I've, I saw, it just reminded me a lot of another one of our favorite stories, which is Pride and Prejudice, the BBC version, of course. Mm-hmm. Um... And we all know how much I love that story. So uh, after after all like all the acclaim that you gave to it, I was like, let me just let me just throw it on. Um, and yeah, of course, I, I wasn't surprised that I enjoyed it as much as I did. But yeah, that's great. And what about you, Abby? Um, you know, what are your thoughts about the show in general, and and why did you watch? So I watched. I think definitely also in part because of you. Um, I'm familiar with Julia Quinn as an author, and I think she's a really wonderful writer, writes interesting characters um, with interesting backgrounds, and is just a really strong storyteller. And it's always interesting to see, you know, things that you like translated on screen. And so when I heard that this story was going to be Um, made by Netflix, who often makes really wonderful productions, I wanted to check it out. Um, As far as what I liked about it, um, so I think there's a lot here that we'll be discussing today and that we have discussed that is really worth thinking about and talking about. Um, Not to say that all media is not worth talking about to a certain degree, um, but I think um, this production actually is really rich with um, points of discussion about history, about fashion, about lots of different things that we'll get into, um, as well as being a, for the most part, um, well-told story. So um, that's why I am glad that I watched it, and I'm glad that we get to talk about it today. So I think it's fair to say that we all like Bridgerton. Is that right, guys? Yeah, for I sure. think that's that's pretty fair. And I, I would, you know, love to know kind of what were some of your favorite parts of watching Bridgerton and, and what were some of your least favorite parts of the show, story-wise? Um, as far as favorite parts, I think for me, um, which I know this is true for you, Tudri, as well, is the actors that they chose, well, at least for me, weren't very well-known. I know some of them are very, very well-known um, in general, but for me, they weren't very well-known. And I think the people who chose the cast did a great job in choosing people that had great chemistry. Um, there are definite moments that are very, very serious, um, but both the serious moments but also the light-hearted, funny moments are often um, carried off with great acting skill and some of those lighter moments especially are just really fun and enjoyable um there was numerous times when we just couldn't help but laugh because something really sweet or funny happened um the cast has has really nice chemistry together Mm -hmm. um it centers around a family and 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 one particular member of a family 
and or I guess say a few members of that family but um the they in many ways feel like a family mm-hmm. um and that's really nice to see and so I think that was one of my favorite things just watching that and then I think um the, the other relationship that is I think an important relationship in this um, story is the relationship with two best friends, um, Eloise and Penelope, and uh, it's just really nice to see how that female friendship is portrayed mm-hmm. as these women who, you know, come from, um, especially Eloise's character, from a really loving family, and yet just has this bond with another person that um, is really unshakable and beautiful in many ways. So I think those would be my favorite parts. Awesome. Nee, what about you? Some of your favorite parts? Uh, some of my favorite parts to echo Abby for sure the family aspect I love seeing the dynamics of the family um, just because of like how how our family is it, it's just cool to see kind of that aspect that you don't often get to see in, in media just a big family just kind of hanging out having a good time enjoying each other's company there's a line that the mom has specifically when um, the dude comes to dinner She's like, and he's asking like everybody at the same table, even the children. She's like, I know it's unconventional, but you know we like each other. So yeah, that's it's such a simple thing, but um, can often be overlooked because it's, you know there's plenty of families that don't like each other as we see in the show. Mm-hmm. So I love seeing that. Also, uh, not an, I don't know if this would be a hot take, I guess, but I really enjoyed Antony's character. Mm-hmm. And kind of like the struggles he went through, and especially like the dynamic between him and uh, Simon. I love, especially that one scene where they fight. I that's one of my favorite scenes, if not my favorite scene in the entire yeah. show. Wow, the, ear- uh, the early fight scene or the later fight scene? The later fight scene. The yeah. later fight after they're married. Yeah, the later fight scene. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Uh, this is a more character specific, but Lady Danbury. That's my G. Love Lady. <laughs> love Lady yeah, D. Yeah, she's fabulous. Um. Yeah. So, I, I those are the ones I'd put down for sure. All right. Uh, let me throw my log on the fire here. My favorite parts of, of Bridgerton, similar to my siblings, of course. I I loved those family moments. Right. Um, I I think there there are a few scenes that stand on in particular. My brother just brought up one. The the family dinner scene. I think I I've watched that scene. Ugh, I go back, I rewind it whenever I watch it because I think it's such a rich scene. Um, you get to see a lot of really interesting family dynamics. You have Colin and, and uh, Benedict arguing uh, about uh, whether Colin's going to do well in a fencing round, in a fencing match against somebody. You have uh, Francesca and... Uh, who we don't get to know very well, but and, and Eloise talking about something. You have the little the little ones, Hyacinth and Gregory, are fighting at the end of the table, and Anthony Anthony, sorry, is just brooding at the end of the table, and it's so funny to watch. Um, and, and and there's just so many little moments that make them seem like a family, um, and and uh, they just carried it off so well. And if and if, if the behind the scenes are be, to be believed, um, this cast got along really well, particularly the Bridgertons, and so I think the casting did a lot of the work for them there but also the writing is is fantastic um I would say another favorite part for me I you know correct me if I'm wrong I do not think that there are many like and or or, um uh Simon Daphne fans out there I think they're great I think they have really good chemistry I really like both of their characters I think they were cast very well um she's just snooty enough and just vulnerable enough I think I think she um 
is underappreciated as as uh, the the lead actress in the show, and I think they have a really great chemistry, right? Wait, I think can that's I, can yeah, I go intro for a second? Like, is that true? You're into this more than I am, but like, I I, I didn't people, I thought people loved him. I think people love him. Um, but she's a lot more divisive. Some people really love her. Some people think she's not very good at all. They think she's flat. Um, and I think she's great. I think she, I think she did a really great job. I mean, think about that scene late in the show when after the fight that you're talking about, where he's taking care of himself and she comes in to take care of him. Right. And it's just so, they're just so good in that moment. Like the two of them together, they're so good. Even in interviews together, they have such a fun rapport. Um, I think they were really well cast. And so I, I think probably my favorite parts of the story, definitely the Bridgerton family, just being a family. Um, but also I, I really enjoyed uh, the Simon and Daphne and their rapport, the rapport um, together. I thought that was great. Um, I can't disagree with you. And I don't know if we're moving into the next section, but I think their rapport between Simon and Daphne is actually part of what helps save the end of the story, which when we're talking about least favorite parts, um, has to be one of my least favorite parts. You know, I, I really struggled with the end of the show because for me, I felt like there was a few moments where Daphne's character really takes advantage of, of Simon's character in a way that's not ever really... Um, so let me just say this right now. Spoiler warning. If you have not watched Bridgerton or you don't like spoilers, stop listening now because we're going to we're gonna dig into this. You don't need to beat around the bush. Just say say exactly what you're talking about here. Oh, should I get into Let's it at this point? Let's get into it. Let's get into okay. it. Okay. Simon initially doesn't want to marry Daphne because he has a very contentious relationship with his father who is now dead and because of that relationship has vowed that he's never going to have children and Daphne being from a large and loving family um, this is something that's really important to her and so um, Simon at one point tells her I can't marry you because I can't have children and Daphne ultimately says for various reasons, let's get married anyway. And Can you be specific kind of about started... his wording, though, because I think that's very key about exactly what he says, at least in this uh, adaptation of the story. Yes, and I I apologize because I can't remember exact, his exact. I think the line is, "I guys... cannot give you children" or something like that. Yes, and um, it's it's done in a way in in the miniseries, at least that. He is certainly not being upfront with her, but he's not lying to her either. He has vowed to himself that he is not going to have children. And and this is something that's that's really important and that and that hurts Daphne, but that she accepts until the point where she understands how children are made. And this is this gets to one of the big themes throughout the, the story, which is that young women do not understand how um how they don't understand like, the mechanics of sex um yes. there are nobody they, tells them about sex so she doesn't understand how to have sex what sex really is or how children are made yes and so um simon not really also fully understanding what her mom has told her doesn't necessarily think to explain any of those mechanics he just kind of says I can't help children which is not because of any physiological medical reason it's because he's made this choice and when Daphne discovers this she feels betrayed because 
she feels that he's taken a choice away from her which in some ways is true but it which he warned her about and unfortunately Daphne then goes on to then take a choice away from him in a scene where um they are having um a sexual encounter and um she she refuses to let him go and um he therefore when um he a way that Daphne takes away his ability to choose they don't talk about it um because you know Simon doesn't really want to they don't talk about it but clearly Daphne violates him um his his right to choose what he's going to do in that sexual encounter and I and part of what bothers me about that ending is because later in in the resolution in order for Daphne to fully understand Simon she needs more information and unfortunately Simon is still at a place where um, they're not able to talk together and so Daphne does get her information but she gets it through it what in my opinion is another violation she reads um, Simon's father's letters which he refuses to read Um, and I thought it was really interesting that that was a choice that they made Um, there's a scene in the book because this is the same story um, from Julia Quinn's The Duke and I um, where the the story is actually told to her by someone who lives in the in their house um that that works in the house and who knew the story and and that feels much less of a violation because she's being offered this information versus taking this information the same way that she takes Simon's choice away and that along with some other things I felt like made it hard to feel completely happy at the end when they come back together because they don't get to spend enough time really talking through these things and really understanding um, these choices that were made and these choices that were taken away. Right. Okay. Um, the rapport of the characters, and this gets back to the favorite things, the rapport of the characters and the sweetness that they have together and that they find together ultimately does allow for there to be some happiness at the end. But again, I think it's tarnished and it's tinged by the fact that these characters don't get to converse about this really, or these multiple violations that have happened um, in some ways on both sides, but I think largely, unfortunately, from Daphne to Simon. Yeah, so I think, you know, for me, that was my least favorite thing about this particular piece. Okay. Um, Nia, I'd love to hear your perceptions on on um, both that scene, but also how um, Simon and Daphne, Daphne's marriage plays out after. You know, and, and just to be clear, like, some people would say that it's a rape. Um, I usually refer to it as the marital rape scene. I mean, because it was consensual until it wasn't, right? And and non-consensual sex is still non-consensual sex, um, even if it happens midway through. So so I call it the marital rape scene. Some people call it just a violation. Um, whatever you call it, neat. Let's get your perspectives on on that and how it played out. Um, it's 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 a bad bad look, uh, and I agree with you with that. Like it, it it's just kind of brushed over, and they focus so much on his faults in this situation. Um, that, yeah, at the end of the day, like, it, it kind of seems unearned, the happiness that they achieve at the end. Yeah. Um, and, and we talked about this at length. I think a lot of that has to do with maybe pacing and some of the other storylines that they put in, uh, that we'll, maybe we'll get to a little later that we didn't particularly enjoy either. Yeah. Um, but as, as, as specifically because this season was about 
those two characters in particular, I wish I would have had more time to to discuss that and figure it out. And so again, same goes with the whole letter reading thing that that one is completely brushed over. Yeah. Because um, I mean, those are really private things, and and just the character that we've known over the eight episodes doesn't seem like he would take that without any like you know pushback. Offense, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Other like that's really all I have to say about that particular scene. Yeah, I I think I. I, I want to jump in and, and share my two cents here as well. I mean, I think, I mean, larger speaking, yes. This this is, um, I think, my least favorite aspect of Bridgerton um, is is this aspect of it. And and it's, I can't say scene or, or, you know, it's not, or episode, right? Because it happens over the course of, of episodes six, seven, and eight. Um, and, and so it's my least favorite aspect of the storytelling of Bridgerton. I think that episodes one through five are, are, are strong um, and and near perfection in in my book, even maybe the first half of episode six. Um, But once we get into, um, you know, to your point, Abby, they spend a lot of time laying the foundation for the theme of the show, which is that women aren't told enough about um, sex and sexual mechanics, which is problematic just, you know, because you're sending them into to marriage without a lot of knowledge. But it's also problematic because this is the point that you made to me, um, Abby, that um, this is like women's main function in society. It's to produce heirs and have children. And they don't understand, They for them to not even understand the mechanics of it is problematic. But then <clears throat> moving into like this more specific um, issue of, of Daphne and Simon, um, you know, I think there was there was there were issues in the setup, and then there were issues in the follow through. So the issue in the setup is that maybe this is just me, and this is just a bit of a hot take, but I do not think I think Simon's words, while carefully chosen and obfuscating the truth to a degree, are like not he she didn't lie to him or he didn't lie to her. Like it, it just it's just it doesn't like his word. I cannot give you children. He didn't say I can't have children. He said I cannot give you children. Yes, she doesn't understand the mechanics of how things works. I think moreover, they don't even paint it like Simon seems like he thinks he's lying to her. And mm-hmm. and here's the example of when that happens. They're on that walk after um you know she she they they go to the county fair and the they they rate the pigs or whatever and she makes that kind of societal blunder in her new home and they're walking back through this field and he's like how could I be so lucky to be with a woman who's okay with life as I've chosen it to be or something like that right who's okay with life being just the two of us um and 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 so it's clear from I mean it seems clear to me from his face that he's like how could I be so lucky to be with a woman who's okay with the fact that I've chosen not to have kids now again this is a communication problem she thinks he's saying one thing he thinks he's saying another thing but like it's not clear that Simon is doing this intentionally. And I think that's a big error on the creator, on the show creator's part, because it doesn't feel like Simon really violated her trust that much. Yeah. And I think the other thing is for the like legitimacy of their love story. I think one of the things that we're meant to understand is that Simon and Daphne, by the time they get married, even though it takes them a struggle to get to the altar, that they love each other. And that part of what Simon's understanding is that, Daphne is willing to give this thing up for me because she cares that more much about, about me, me yeah. than she does about this thing that she also really cares about. Yeah. And um, for, yes. So I think it does, it does 
it does make the love story feel a little bit less um, loving because it seems like Daphne ultimately just wants the thing that she wants and she's going to get it at all costs. They did something wrong and it's wrong for two reasons. One, it's important that because Simon violated Daphne, Daphne violates Simon for story mechanics. I don't think though that they went far enough for the reasons that you've both talked about to show this scene as a real violation of, of Simon's body of his personhood um, and of his trust. I think Yes. Simon kind of follows her to back to London when, you know, when, when Colin's having his, his scandal, but, um, they make it seem like he's only, he only cares if she's pregnant and when she's not pregnant, everything's fine. And, and to me, that's problematic for a number of reasons, but, but just as a viewer and a, and a person in a society where we're like still really reckoning with what rape is, with what consent is, I think they needed to drill down harder just as a show and as showrunners on the idea that like what happened between Simon and Daphne was non, was a non-consensual sexual act. And that is important in and of itself that like this is named and shamed as a bad thing that you should not in any relationship be taken advantage of. Um, even if, even if sex is consensual to a point, like the moment somebody thinks you should stop and you don't stop, you have violated them. And I think the show didn't do enough to make that, to, to make that point. Um, so that's one thing. And I think it's especially important because I think people sometimes find it harder to recognize rape when it happens to men or they're more quick to, um, to celebrate inappropriate thing, sexual acts when they happen to men. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Um, and then, uh, you know, I don't want to belabor this point too long. I think the last thing is that like, like to, to, to point, um, I think a lot of the happiness felt unearned at the end because we didn't reckon with what happened in that bedroom that day. They didn't reckon enough with why Simon didn't want children and, and, um, how like it's not just it's not you know this the scene that probably offended me the most um was when simon is playing with hyacinth and gregory and after they leave the house daphne comments to him something about like oh you're really good with children and he's like yeah i always have been but he's got this like this pensive idea like oh i am fine with children and i am like like no it's not it i think they needed to spend a little bit more time reckoning with with Simon and and all of his desires and how Daphne needs to understand where he's coming from and he needs to understand and, and, and that can help them move forward and together they can move forward and they just didn't do that work instead they gave us that like weird Mr. Featherington storyline that like nobody on earth wanted or needed um and and I thought that that was a, a wasted opportunity to do some really good uh they have good actors I think that Phoebe Denever and um, Reggie, Reggie Jean Page are, are good actors and they could have given us a really impactful and emotional scene really wrestling with Simon's demons and, and they chose to go in a different direction but um, we spent a lot of time talking about this this situation um, this particular scene I want to move on um, now and and if you you know really quickly if you have any other things that were your least favorite parts of the story let's move on because we're going to spend a lot of time about talking about things that we like I mean, in terms of things that I didn't like, you just kind of mentioned it. A lot of the things to do with the Featheringtons, um, I didn't really care for. I, I actually really like the characters of, especially the women Featheringtons. Mm-hmm. I like all of them. And the fam, the family just reminds me a lot of, of the Bennett family and, and uh, Pride mm-hmm. and Prejudice yeah. and, and just some of the things that happened to them and 
Um, yeah, and the dynamic between the parents and kind of that kind of thing. Mm, uh, but in terms of the actual storylines involved the Featheringtons, I didn't really care for it. I, I think for me, yeah, I already mentioned the Mr. Featherington like gambling storyline. I thought it was fine. I mean, I, I didn't mind getting to know them and the dynamics of their family more. I just thought like, did we need that last bit with yeah. with Will and and the gambling and the and the boxing? Like and then he, you know, gets I think murdered at the end. <laughs> I think they murder Mr. Featherington. And I just like, it didn't feel necessary. Like if you wanted to kill Mr. Featherington, have him get drunk and like walk into a river. Right. Like we didn't need this like weird murder plot. Um, and like Including I, stuff like just the whole stuff with Will too. Like you mentioned, like just specifically Will's storyline, it, it kind of came out of left field to me. Yeah. Um, it felt, it felt untrue yes. to his character too. Yeah. I thought. Yes. Uh, and then Marina's storyline, like, they spent a lot of time on it, which is fine. Marina's uh, storyline should have ended when Philip Crane came to yeah. pick her up. Boom. Over. Done. I, I will say, though, that for both of these stories, um, there it brings up a few of the things that I that I like about this particular period piece, because I think these are issues that Jane Austen um, doesn't tackle as much. Maybe um, they're tackled a little bit in, in Jane Eyre by one of the Bronte sisters. But um, I think Will's storyline brought up this idea that, um, you know, this this is, we'll talk about this at some point, but this is a this is an alternative universe in which um, Black people and just people of color in general are part of not even just like gentry, but they're part of the no noble class and so it's an alternative space and I think one of the things that they did in addition to taking away for the most part racism was they actually kind of somewhat effaced classism as well not completely I don't actually agree with that I, I think they did agree. a little bit because at least for Will it's unclear to me where Will fits in the social social structure and I think one of the things that I really liked about Will's story was that despite the fact that I do think it didn't really it did come out of left field for his character. I, I, I like that there was a character who pushed back on this idea that people who have things and who are very wealthy really understand the lives of people who don't have things and can dictate like their moral code. I thought it was really interesting that Simon was like, dude, this isn't you. And Will was like, yes, but like, I have a family to take care of and I want to guarantee their safety. And I'm not saying what I, I agree with what Will did. Absolutely not. But I'm saying that I thought that discussion that they brought to the floor was really interesting. I will also say that for Marina's story in particular, I think her, uh, um, so there's a moment where Marina um, gets pregnant and she attempts to um, end the pregnancy using, like by creating this concoction, this like special tea. And I think that was another moment of really highlighting this again major theme they had of like women just weren't taught about how to take care of themselves about how their bodies worked and it was to their detriment um and so while do i think it really needed that extra punch no not necessarily but i thought it was an interesting um interesting scene when marina who's who's um tries ultimately unsuccessful the doctor kind of says like this is ridiculous this makes no sense I don't know why she would even try this because this is something that of course would not work um and so I thought um even though did I absolutely need those in this particular story no um but I do think that they brought interesting things to light 
Yeah, I don't think that's the part of Marina's story that bothered me, though, because that's before Mr. Crane comes the first time. So, I mean, I guess she only said no to him the first time because she thought she wasn't pregnant anymore. But, like, I, I just thought, like, if we're going to give more space to Daphne and Simon, what can go? And, and like, Marina had already been through so many ups and downs. I thought, you know, give her a good man and and let her go. Um, And then, you know, there's there are different ways to show the 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 class issues with with between Will and Simon and and have that discussion and there are different ways to kill Mr. Featherington if that's what you need to do to set up next season without putting so much time into a storyline when we have this main story that needs more space when we need more time with Daphne and Simon to really resolve their issues but um yeah i mean i i also think that like uh class largely plays plays a role the role that we expect it to um, in this in this show, Will is in this interesting um, like in between land, and, and I and I really do think that Will's character is meant to be viewed as more of like an up and coming tradesman kind of guy, where so he interfaces with with Sai. He's he's trying to get to that that part of the world, right? Um, and that's why you know he put he and his wife put so much pressure on Simon at, at every every turn to like really support him um, in in this move to kind of a more the more genteel part of society um, to stop being the entertainment and to be the businessman. Um, and, and I do not think uh, like the only interactions we see will having with, with high class people that are like real interactions are, are because Simon is put asking him to be there. Um, and uh, that might be uncommon, but like as somebody who already interfaces a lot with, with, um, with high class people, with upper class people, um, for him to be at the ball, yeah, like maybe a little bit weird, but it's at the Duke's house and he's the Duke's friend and, and all of these people would recognize him. Um, and what are they going to say? You know what I mean? Like, what are they going to say? It's the Duke's house. He's, he's a Duke. Um, so I don't know. I just think class really functions the same way in the, in the story that it does everywhere else. But I do want to touch on another point that you uh, brought up, which is the alternative history piece versus colorblindness in storytelling. This, this, I, I think when I saw all the previews, for, for Bridgerton, I thought it was going to be a colorblind story. Um, I was really, really excited about it when I first started seeing previews in like October. And I was like, yes, a colorblind period piece. This is going to be great. And I would love to know what both of, what crossed both of your minds when you recognized uh, or when you realized that, that Bridgerton was not, in fact, a colorblind period piece. Uh, personally, I loved it. Um, I will say it's it's very light not colorblindness um but i guess not every story with black and white people has to deal with racial issues too so that's another good thing like honestly it's just good to get a break from that from time to time especially in the world we live in but um it's just good to see like yeah this this is a reality of life because it is a reality of life but it's 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 almost like an ideal world for especially us living in america like yeah these two things exist but there's no tension because of this particular issue. It's just the way it is. It's, I think it's interesting that you say there's no tension. I mean, like it's again, like you said, it's a very light touch. They, it, it's re- we really only see it in that one scene between Lady Danbury and yeah. Simon. But even he's like, look, at, at any time this could go away. It could change through the pen stroke of a king, through the yeah. declaration of the king. This could change. So I don't buy that love has changed all. Love has conquered all. But. Um, to your point, like it's a light touch, but I, I, I think it's so 
interesting and important. Bola, what did you think of when you when you came across that reveal that it wasn't colorblind and that it was in fact an alternative history? Um, so this is something that you actually prepared me for a little bit. Not necessarily the explanation, but the fact that it wasn't truly colorblind, that there there was some sort of reason. Um, and I think for me, I I didn't used to be bothered by, but I think um, maybe it doesn't bother me, but like that I have been finding increasingly interesting is the role or the place of colored people in historical stories. Um, I think the the book that we all read and loved was Sorcerer to the Crown, and that centers around um, Zacharias, who is a black wizard, and Prunella, who is a half Indian, half white English um, um, witch, or magician. I'm not sure what we call her. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I think we talked we've talked about before. Um, but in in that book, um, clearly d- England is mixing and interacting with other parts of the world, which is the thing that we know historically England did and all of these countries that were colonial countries did. And it is very true and honest that these countries that were colonial countries not only brought back food, clothing, fashion, all sorts of things, but they also brought back people. And so, you know, I, I read a really interesting thing the other day about black people in Regency. And they, they were like, we always read these books and we think there were like so many Dukes and, and Viscounts out there, but it was actually like not that many people. And you were far more likely to see black people than you were to see a Duke. <laughs> yes. And so I think um, for me, part of, part of seeing Bridgerton was feeling in some ways, even though I know it's an alternative history, like this is a little bit more what society looked like. Maybe it didn't look like this in ballrooms where Dukes were, but this is actually what society looked like a little bit more. There were Asian people. There were African people. There were all of these people that were were around in in England. And so I think, you know, in thinking about um, big stories like Game of Thrones and things like that, where oftentimes people of color don't feature very frequently I just think it's interesting because it goes to show how uh, how we portray history and how we imagine history is often very different than how history actually was and so again part of what I appreciated about Bridgerton was the fact that um, in some ways it's closer to what history actually was although it's an alternative history you know there was no Simons there was no black dukes right um in, in England at this time. But absolutely, there was black people walking around, Indian people walking around, all these things. And so I really appreciated seeing that. Plus also, um, shout out to Black Girl in a Big Dress, um, <laughs> which is on YouTube. Um, I have always loved these kinds of clothing. And so it was really fun to see people that look like me in period pieces or period costume, um, even though, of course, they were they were really specific for, for Bridgerton. They were kind of um, I believe the the costume designer said they were it was Regency but made for modern 2021 eyes, um, and so I, but I did really appreciate getting to see um, people that looked you know all kinds of ways wearing these clothings because again like that's actually what was happening. Um, there were there was all sorts of people um, in this time, so I I really appreciated it, and I I liked the explanation. It was it was simple. It was neat. Um, and I think some of the things that you said um, about hair and fashion, I'll let you go on and say, but I thought, thought some of the explanations were really cool as well in, in how um, this alternative history then went to affect what their world 
physically look like as well? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I have spent, like I said, a lot of time watching YouTube videos, reading interviews, uh, et cetera, et cetera, with, with production and wardrobe and, and hair and makeup and, and of course the cast, um, and, and some of the directors even. And so I, I feel like I've gotten a good sense of, of the intentionality behind the production of this show. Um, but also, you know, I, I also just have, have read a lot of complaints. Um, so I personally, like both of my siblings really love, um, the alternative history angle. I think they did a really good job. They kept it simple. They didn't over explain it. They showed, you know, that there were varying opinions about it. All of this was done in one scene, which is very impressive. If you really think about it, the thing that I, I kind of say to, to the, to the naysayers, to the people who are not happy, um, that this is, uh, an alternative history, um, uh, you know, people people say they would have preferred a colorblind uh, show, um, you know, a show where race didn't play a role at all. And, and you know, we are, the three of us, lovers of Brandy Cinderella, which is, I think, the ultimate colorblind movie. It's a movie where Whoopi Goldberg, who's a black woman, and Victor Garber, who who's a white man, have a Filipino prince uh, as their son. Um, and, and that's beautiful. And it's fun in, in and of its own way to see the world presented to us like that. But I think what I really loved about this, and my sister brought up Sorcerer to the Crown, what I love is for people of color to be included, but for us to be shown for our full selves, um, for us to be appreciated for for what our skin looks like, what our hair textures are like, etc. I think there's a time and a place for for both. I, I actually really I, I love colorblind stories as well, but I, I really appreciated that they gave the thought and the explanation um, um, to why we see people of color in this world. And and to to my sister's point, I have spent a little bit of time thinking about how. Um, how the choice to make this an alternative history also is shown in uh, in the clothing and in the costumes and in the hair and in in the in the design of the show. Um, because one thing that people ding the show for a lot is period accuracy, and we can talk a little bit about that. All three of us are kind of Regency cognizant, like we've spent time watching Pride and Prejudice and Persuasion and Emma. We like know we know we know Jane Austen pretty well, and so we know this this period reasonably well. Um, and, and it does, Bridgerton does not, it's not accurate. It's not accurate to the period, but it's also not meant to be, um, for, for the reason that my sister said, which is that, you know, they wanted this to be, um, palatable to 21st century audiences. Um, they wanted us to like recognize the colors and the sights and the sounds and to, to put things together, um, to, about the characters through those choices that they made. But also, you know, because it's alternative fiction, I think it's really interesting to think about how having a, a mixed race queen, um, who was part, uh, you know, black, a part black queen, uh, would affect all kinds of things in society. For example, you know, one of the things that people talk about a lot on the show is that, the characters, the women characters don't wear bonnets. They don't wear he headgear that is appropriate for the time period. And, and my first thought when I, when, when I saw that argument was, okay, that's stupid. I mean, yeah, that's fine. You know, we, the feathers are fun, but then the more I thought about it, I, and I don't know if this is where the, the, the designers and the production designers of the show wanted to go with it, but like, you know, women who have afros cannot wear bonnets, right? Um, so like to uh, the idea that like this, this part African queen or Portuguese more, I think is, is historically what people think she was, um, queen comes there and she's got this big hair and, you know, 
the queen sets sets the style. Everything everything about style flows from the queen and her court. And so, what what would having a black queen uh, affect? Right? It would affect the hairstyle choices. It would affect like you know we saw people like Cressida Cressida Cowper, um, who is kind of set up as Daphne's rival. Um, she wears braid detailing in her hair a lot, right? And and why would a why would a white woman wear braid detailing in her hair? Well, because people in the queen and and her court. Uh, who are of mixed descent, um, mixed, different races, um, started wearing that because black women wear braids in their hair a lot, right? So like that's just an idea, right? Um, that that the colors and the and the clothing influences. We saw all kinds of really interesting clothing choices in this in this show um, that are not quite Regency, but they're Regency adjacent. And I like to think about how clothing from Africa and East Asia and Southeast Asia and the Caribbean would flow in and out of the society as um, people of different races were were mixed in. So that's something that I thought a lot about, um, or I thought a lot about since the show. Uh, ended and since I've been thinking a lot about the show. So um, do, do either of you want to add anything about the period accuracy piece? I mean, it is, it is a big complaint that people have about any show that comes out. That's a period piece, you know, their cravats weren't right or their bonnets weren't just right or, or their boots didn't look right or whatever. Um, did, did any of that stand out to you or bother either of you? No, I mean, not trying to antagonize anybody, but if you're, if you're so fixated on that, I mean, go watch the history channel. <laughs> this is, this, this is entertainment, man. Like, you know, just relax. But again, like, to be fair, I'm, I'm, and all of us are more into the story. So if things are not accurate, but the story is still good, like that kind of stuff can fall way back in, into the wayside. So, yeah, I think that's, I think for me, what, what bothers me about the critiques are like they're like people who critique it for period accuracy are like pretending that Netflix and Shondaland did it on accident somehow. Like they didn't know what people wore back then, so they just made it up. And I'm like, look, Netflix made The Crown. Netflix made what's that show that you guys love? That's really expensive. Sense Eight. Sense Eight. Like they have the money to do whatever they want, and if they wanted to do it accurately, they would have done it accurately, right? But like. This was a choice. This is a choice that they made. This is these people's actual 24-7 job. Yes. They know what they're doing. It's not a surprise to them that you're like, oh, wait, the bonnets are missing. And they're like, oh, no, we forgot bonnets. Like, that's not <laughs> that's not what's happening here, <laughs> which I think is a, a funny a funny thought. Um, let's move on to talking about a, a few other things about the show. Um, one thing that has struck me um, in, in the discussion around Bridgerton is – um, you know, we've already touched on the idea that women didn't know about, about, um, a lot about sex. Um, but also there, there are some other things that people have commented on, um, where they're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't like the show because, uh, or I didn't like that, you know, Daphne didn't know anything about sex. And so, um, it really frustrated me that her mom couldn't t- like, didn't tell her. Um, so I, I do think that um, you know, I, I'm not nearly as into, um, I love reviews, but I'm not necessarily out there reading what, um, people are just generally saying about it. But I, I know that, you know, in our, in our discussions, we've really talked a lot about the fact that, um, a lot of the concerns that people have had about this show are not necessarily, again, because of, something that the show got wrong but Mm. because as we were talking about earlier something the show Mm -hmm. got right we are in the 21st century and 
there are very many times I thank God for that because there's a lot of stuff about the Regency that I think for our, our 21st century minds is really hard to grasp that women had to, or people in general, had to endure some mm-hmm. of this stuff. Um, I think, you know, one of the, the issues that has has been a big thing is, you know, this discussion of the fact that, like, it's it's really hard to watch multiple women go through not understanding. There's this hilarious scene that we talked about where um, Penelope is talking to Marina about this guy that Marina fell in love with who's now at war and about their their first um, sexual experience together or, or their kind of their relationship, which included um, a sexual aspect. And You mean where Penelope asked her if she, like how it happened? Yep, and and Penelope's really worried because Marina refers some refers to cake, and Penelope herself is eating cake, and she starts to get freaked out about like, oh my gosh, will will I get pregnant or something happen to me because I'm eating cake? And it's just this kind of like, in some ways, very humorous moment of this this you know young adult woman who has so little understanding of how sex happens that she's worried about eating cake. But I I do think that. Um, those things that are, are particularly about this show are the things that we should really be thoughtful about. Um, I think that the, those issues that are the, some of the major issues that this show brings up, even though they are issues in different ways than, the, than they were in the Regency, I think that a lot of these issues still are issues today. How do we educate people about sex, but also about other things that are important to their well-being? How do we, um, how do we, understand our world and the way we relate to each other as humans um and you know if if uh, we were to look back you know in years from now would we think the same things about how we relate to each other now as we did then are there ways we can make our society better by relating to each other better um i think one of the things that um we we are also talking about as far as like thinking about how we relate to each other or how we understand our society is um you know thinking about like what do we think of as beautiful or what do we think of as interesting like what makes what makes someone um worth knowing or worth valuing um i think one of your favorite lines is um where anthony walks into the a ballroom at one of the first balls in one of the first episodes and is kind of like telling his mom like Ugh, don't bother about getting married like all these ladies are super boring um these la- the, dubious the dubious yeah as a phrase he uses <laughs> yes um and that like you know he's ascribing a, a value or a lack of value to to certain people um one of the things in in this show uh, which is actually something outside of the show I, again just helping us to think about like how does the how does the show view it and and Regency view it, but also how do we view things? Is the idea of um, colorism one of the things that we that that kind of struck me as I was watching it is um, even though I think they did a really cool job of like putting people of color on the screen, um, and and maybe it's because the Bridgerton family is so large and they're a big part of it, but that there wasn't actually very many um, people of color in the whole cast that were of primary speaking roles and I I I it's not to say that the show didn't do a good job and didn't didn't really try but that was one thing that I was just kind of wondering what you guys thought about that um if it was just something that struck me or if it struck you guys as well me no for sure that's one of the things I, I noticed um first in my first watch here um and, and another thing was 
um, this might be a touchy issue amongst black people. It's just like the the shades of, of black that you see. Mm-hmm. Um, and for people who aren't black that are listening to this, if you don't already know, it, it, it is an issue that is within the black community, like uh, how lighter-skinned black people seem to get the favoritism over darker-skinned black people. Uh, that's just one thing that struck me, not to say they intentionally did that, but it's just one thing that I noticed. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, colorism is an issue in, in, in most non-white, I mean, even even among white people, um, I, I think, you know, like, it has historically been an issue. You didn't want to be too tan. Women, I mean, were always inside rich women and they never wanted to get too dark. Right. And, and, um, in, in this show, it, it's very, um, you know, I, I, I love Bridgerton. It's a show that I have, I have invested a lot of time into since I watched it on Christmas day. And, um, that doesn't mean that it's a perfect show. And I think colorism is, I, I think the, the rape um, or violation aspect is one area where it really, it's really problematic. But I think this is another area. Um, you know, uh, the only, uh, other than Will, other than Will, um, the, all of the speaking roles ascribed to black people uh, are, are they're, they're light, they're lighter skinned black people. I think the only other instance of a dark skinned person um, speaking is, uh, when one guy asked Daphne to dance at one point and he just, um, and like, and that's, he has like one line, like want to dance Miss Bridgerton or something like that. And, and that's it. Um, you know, there are not a lot of speaking roles for dark skinned black people in this movie. Um, and it was, it was apparent. Um, uh, so that was, I, I think it, it's something that stood out to, to me as well. Um, you know, I want to, I want to move on quickly to talk about, t- one last topic before we go through um, our speed round of, of favorites. Um, what, why do you think people like Bridgerton? Why do you think it's popular? Why do you think it's doing so well? I mean, it, in, in its first four weeks, in its first month after it came out, it, it was the fifth most watched Netflix show of all time. Um, and I think it only continues to grow. So, so why do you think um, Bridgerton is resonating with people? Um, a few reasons. Uh to service level for sure I think number one people just love romance stuff people love love stories plain and simple um it gives us all like that glowing feeling inside like oh you know look at this wonderful couple it's so beautiful huh? you know that kind of thing uh, that's number one uh number two I think people like Regency things more than we would like to admit maybe I don't know <laughs> um Maybe yeah. it was just an interesting period in in history, uh, much different than what we know today, but still maybe just more intriguing because of it. Um, so, it, I mean, it, it reflects our society today in a lot of ways, but with made subtle and major differences as well. Um, and then lastly, maybe this one is just more for me personally. But just the aspect of the mixed cast, the diverse cast, I thought was great. And this will go into what I want people to take away. And I'll touch on more a little later. And something you mentioned before was just like uh, to see black people in a society where, you know, the color of their skin is not the main thing. Like oftentimes in black stories, it's the color of the skin that is... At some for some reason the root of the issue of the film or the TV show or whatever I think that's another reason why Black Panther did so well 
um, because it was about it wasn't about the black struggle so much. There was aspects of that, sure. Mm-hmm. They were but true it was, to that. They were true to it, um, but they, it wasn't the point. Yeah, black people just like to see black excellence and black peace and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. What do you think, Bola? I think for me, um, I I actually really agree about your point about the Regency. You are a privileged person, um, brother, in that you grew up with two older sisters, and for better or for worse, you had to watch Pride and Prejudice with us, and you had to, like, you were immersed in in Regency stories from the time you were small, and so you grew to appreciate that a good story is a good story, right? Like, I can appreciate, you know, our mutual friend because it's a good story. I can appreciate Star Wars because it's a good story, right? I can appreciate good stories uh, regardless of what the focus is. Um, and I think that Jane Austen and Jane um, and the Bronte sisters and people like that often get left the wayside. I can't number the times I've asked um, one of my like male friends or colleagues if they've if they've read any Jane Austen and they're like what Jane Austen Um, because I think there's this perception that it's just for women and it's even for like a subset of of women and so I think that people have gravitated towards Bridgerton because people have have said it's a good story and um, it doesn't necessarily matter that it's set in the Regency that just in in this case adds to the story and so I do think there's an aspect of of that that um, people are are the the barriers that people normally have to overcome to to get into Regency are maybe not there as much and so they're finding like the Regency is not so bad and I hope that this will lead people to encounter more of these Regency stories for example earlier this year or earlier in 2020 we had Emma um, which was another movie that was fantastically acted, incredibly beautiful, with wonderful music, um, and that I think a lot of people would also really enjoy. Um, for the people who normally like, like the Regency, I think it also added, um, again, some of the issues that um, people like Jane don't normally don't normally tackle, um, or, or that she tackles in a different way, um, and in a way that uh, might feel more familiar to people who are living their lives today. And so I think there's that aspect as well. Um, also, it's it's a beautiful movie to watch. They're, it's really accessible, beautiful music um, with a lot of modern um, pop covers. The music is one of my favorite parts of that show, if not yes. my favorite part. I remember, like, I think one of the first balls, again, there's like a, a this really cool um, version of, um, I think, Thank You Next, I think it is but done with, you know, an orchestra. And it's it's really beautiful. It really fits the scene. Um, and yet, again, is very accessible to most people watching it today. And then um, the costuming, um, the really thoughtful way that they put it together, I think really attracts people because overall, despite the fact that there are flaws, it is a good story um, with interesting characters that is very well acted. And so not only am I glad that it was created, but I'm glad that people are watching it because it's a story and a production that deserves to be watched. Yeah, for me, I would say, I think people like Bridgerton for a lot of the same reasons you said, right? Like people are fascinated by this period in history. Um, They, you know, dressed up constantly. They went to balls. It's fun to see rich people doing rich people things. Um, There's a sense that like uh, the Regency was full of rules and, um, 
and people still, but people still had these emotional struggles. So that's nice. Um, personally, I think who doesn't like a two, a type two story. This is this fall. I, I, you know, I was thinking about it later way after I watched it. This is a fake romance story. And uh, those are my favorite kinds of stories. Drive me crazy. Mingle all the way. She's all that. She, what? She's all that. Yeah. There, there are just so, there are so many of these, like, let's pretend um, to all the boys I've loved before is another one. Like, let's pretend we're in love. And then like for some reason, but then we really fall in love. I think those are like, that's a classic storyline that people just eat right up. I love, I love stories like that. So um, I think that's another reason. And I also just think like, let's be real. This is an incredibly good looking cast. Um, and I think the people who wanted to watch it, to watch it, watched it early on, and then it was good. Bridgerton is good. It's well made. It's and it's it's fantastical, and uh, its success is only breeding more success for it um, because it it does stand. It stands up to the watch test. Most people find it to be uh, good, and then they tell other people, and it's good. And we're all stuck inside. Um, just like everyone was watching. What was that stupid show that was on Netflix at the beginning? Uh, like Tiger King. Tiger King, but what's the other one? The dating show. There were Love is Love Blind. Is like they, you know, everyone everyone likes to be part of this like big conversation. Not everyone, but many of us like to be part of this big conversation about what people are watching. Um and and I think Bridgerton is 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 part of that. Um that that quarantined uh wave of like building connection through all experiencing something at the same time and then being able to talk about it. Um and I and I think this is spilling over into the books. I mean, for for those of you who haven't read the books, I'm starting to read them right now. I think my sisters read them, but you know, as the story, um, as people as the story is getting out there, um, people are picking up the books. And and Julia Quinn has eight of them, and uh, the first one is number one on the New York Times bestseller list, and and the second one is like number seven, and the third one is like number eight or something like that. So like they people people are just hungry for a good story that they can share with other people collectively um and and i think that's part of it so right now i want to get three quick answers from you so i want you both to answer as quick as possible um what uh knee what was your favorite product piece of production in bridgerton set costume hat horse what 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 was your favorite thing to look at uh set was the end of the first episode when they when Simon and Daphne dance at the end, mm. like with the fireworks and everything, and and the, and just them walking to the dance floor, I thought was a really cool scene. Any favorite costumes? I like Simon's drip, man. You know, they they make him look real fresh. So I like his his uh, his design, his costume yeah. design. All right, Bola, favorite set, favorite costume. I gotta say, um, even though the Fenririans are really out there, some of Penelope's costumes are my favorite. Um, she is a very lovely young love her, the way her red hair contrasts with a lot of the costumes they put her in so that would be my vote for favorite just a lot of Penelope's outfits um, as far as set um, I'm not sure if I have any particular ones the one that really does stand out to me though is that one at Vauxhall Gardens um, where they go to dance it is a gorgeous um, scene um, it's very dreamy it's very magical it's very romantic um, and very exciting and so I think they did a great job with that as well as um, I think a lot of the queen sets the way they set them up how how formal and stately and bright they were um, and yet how there was like a stillness I kind of like that contrast so that was those are kind of my favorites um, I think for me my favorite 
production pieces. Um, uh, set wise, uh, I really like, I mean, yeah, I, I think probably the set that the set design for, for that end scene of the first episode with Daphne and Simon, it, it's pretty striking. And, uh, fun fact from the behind the scenes, they had real fireworks and real fire, fire, um, uh, like pyrotechnics or whatever, but actually even more so than, than all of that, it's the scene where they turn all those light bulbs yeah. on in like before that, that I think is really, really striking. Um, and my favorite costumes, I don't know. I, I, I really liked, um, I think I, similar to me, I really liked Simon's clothes. I think they put him in red a bit more than I would have. Um, I wasn't sure if it was like the same jacket all the time or, or different red jackets, but they put him in red a lot. Um, but he also has this one black, um, coat that I think is like really like Lady Danbury actually calls him out and it's like, you look weird today or something like that. And, and his, I think his outfit's fantastic in that scene. Um, uh, and then of course the queen, um, favorite character, character or characters, knee, go ahead. Uh, I'll put in four. <laughs> the, the queen. I love the queen. I absolutely, I think she's a wonderful comedic actress, whoever the woman is. Um, she has like these little lines that just make me laugh. My Lady favorite D, was when course. Daphne snorts and, and the Prince Friedrich's yeah. like, uh, no need to apologize. And she's like, well, she's maybe like, a little, maybe a little, like, come on. <laughs> Uh, another one is like when she walks up to him after they're married. She's like, "I have a hundred guinea on you guys having a kid in the first year, so you know, <laughs> make sure it happens." Uh, Lady D, of course, you know, Lady she's Henry. just she's mm-hmm. just that she's just that person. Um, L, Eloise, and Benedict. I love Benny. I also I would also say Penelope, but I feel betrayed by her. <laughs> Spoiler warning. Spoilers. Gee, what about you? Um, I think at the top of the list will have to be Lady Danbury. I think one of the things that you... I don't think you said it exactly this way, but the woman who plays plays her with relish, she enjoys playing Lady Danbury. And for any of those of you guys who read the books, this is a character who lives her life with relish. And so I love that she brought that to the screen. Um, I also am going to put a plug in for Prince whatever his name is Friedrich he was so sweet Um, I liked that he was able to play a rival suitor in a way that was really just nice he seemed respectful he seemed kind seemed thoughtful and I thought with the very little screen time he had that he played that off really well y'all that's Cormac McClaggan he's Cormac McClaggan that guy is? yeah oh Um, I have to see that again sorry really quick that relationship with the prince reminds me of the one in Princess Diaries too Oh. You mean she should have married him? Is is our sister uh, Andrew? I think she would have been happy with the prince. I think. Saying. I swear to God, it. I, the older I get, the more I think Mia should have married Andrew. But that's another conversation. No offense to you, Chris Klein, but my last is going to be Hyacinth. I think she's just super fun. Again, another character who, in the whole scheme of things, doesn't have a lot of screen time, but she's super fun. Gregory as well. Um. So kudos to the kids. Uh, my favorites, I'm going to go. So the, the, the Holy Trinity of the, the three older women in the show, I, I really liked, um, Mrs. Bridgerton or sorry, Lady Bridgerton. Um, I thought she, she was, she had also some great comedic moments when she gets drunk that one night and she has a hangover the next morning. She's great. She's so funny. Lady Danbury, this, uh, I don't remember her name. Adobo, Adobo, uh, is her last name, but she, 
she's a fantastic actress. I would love to see her on stage. Um, I think she would be a great stage actress. Um, I'm sure she is a great stage actress, but also she's just eating up this role and it's fun to watch. And of course the queen, I think another person who's just having a good time playing a a role and frankly doing it with those insane wigs, um, had to be super hard. Um, so and she plays a really good. She has a really good vulnerable side too. Yes, to I, I think I think that's something we haven't we didn't get to touch on in in this episode. But I think the show does a pretty good job at giving everybody a little bit of depth. Um, and, and that scene in particular that you just talked about, where they kind of showed the queen's vulnerability, um, which is a surprise, right? Because until that point, we we don't really know what's going on, and and she just seems so cold. Um, but but we can see why, and I think that's really great. And then uh, outside of that, uh, outside of the the trinity of of three older women, I would say um, it, it's hard to pick one. <laughs> I was gonna say Simon, but then there's Penelope, and uh, and there's Eloise, and Benedict, and Colin, and and uh, really all of them. Um, so so let me just stop with the let me stop with the three. Let me stop with the three because I can't pick a next one. Um, the, but I I think that the the acting and the casting in the show was incredibly well done. Um, to end, uh, favorite scene. What's the scene that if you, when walking away from Bridgerton, you're like, this was the scene that made the show. Made the show. Ah, or maybe let's not make it that dramatic. What was your favorite scene? Um, I love the scene where Simon and Daphne talk to the queen. I love the fight between, uh, Simon and Anthony, Anthony. Um, those are the two that pop, popped into my mind for sure. Oh. Yeah. Let me go with those. This is a scene that you pointed out to me as it was happening and it is indeed beautiful. I think I'm gonna have to choose the portrait scene where, um, where, where we already kind of know Simon and Daphne have an affinity for each other, but it's just such a quiet, beautiful, again romantic scene where they're looking at this painting. I think that his mom loved, and Daphne is even I think without knowing that, thinking deeply about it and connecting with Simon. I think they just. Um, it was just a really subtle but beautiful scene. Can I add one more? Yeah. Uh, ladies' night scene. Oh. I really like ladies' night. Just to see like the ladies pop off, you know. Yeah, and the different different ways people think about marriage is an actually interesting part of that scene too. Um, you, you <laughs> I was gonna say different scenes, but then you both talked, and I was like, wait, those are good choices. Um, for me, I would say uh, the Bridgerton family dinner scene where they have Simon over is one of my favorites. Um, I love scenes with lots of Bridgertons um, in the same place. And I think that one in particular, like we're supposed to be focusing on Simon and Daphne, but for me, it's everything else happening. That scene is incredibly rich. I do have another one. Um, and Go that ahead. is, um, it's not actually one. It's I think it happens a couple times when Eloise talks with Benedict um, where she's yes. smoking. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. We don't, we don't get a lot of scenes with just the two of them together, but I thought they did a great job, again, in these kind of quiet moments of exploring big issues for both of them, which are they both want something out of life, and they're not sure how they're going to get it, and that's bringing them, in their own way, a lot of angst. Eloise, because she's a woman, and she knows that society expects her to get married, and Benedict, because he's a second-born of eight, and he doesn't really know what to do with that. Um, And so I thought both of those scenes were were really nice yeah yeah okay so for for me shout out to the scene between lady danbury and simon uh, where they give they give us the alternative history reveal i think that's a really good scene and reggae john page acting chops really show there um i think the scene between um simon daphne and the queen really well done um oh i'm 
so glad I remembered it. The scene where Daphne gets her period again. And the they're at they're at the uh, they're at a concert yeah, or the play. and the music cuts out and Daphne starts to cry and it's the silent scene juxtaposing Daph the sound of Daphne's crying with Simon's face and I think it's really beautiful. Um, uh, it's just really well done. Um, they did a lot uh, with silence so- and with quiet moments. Juxt- and that, those juxtapositions they did a great job. They do. They do. There's a lot of great comedic little comedic scenes um with uh for example where Daphne moves her chair over to sit by Simon and watching all the servants kind of react to that I think was really nice um uh and and I really also just enjoyed every scene where Simon and Daphne were were walking together I thought that was really nice I, and a special shout out to to the woman who played uh Sienna or the scene at the end where she breaks it off with Antony uh the first time I saw it I cried I thought she delivered it with like I, you couldn't have asked for any more from an actress there. There are so many. I think that's that's why the show, despite all of the things that we talked about that are that are negative that we have to that we critique the show all about, the show is it delivers. It delivers uh, on, on the whole. I think um, there are so many scenes that are just poignant um, and actually stand up to rewatch. Uh, I I think um, because I've rewatched it. So let's let's round out the episode here, uh, and I I just want us all to say kind of. What do we want people to know about Bridgerton? If there was one or two things that you wanted people to to walk away with, thoughts that you want them to walk away from our conversation about Bridgerton with, what would they be? Bola, why don't, why don't you start? Um, I think you guys from know about me that, and all of us, that we really believe that um, media helps us to understand ourselves better, our worlds better, as well as the thing that we're watching better. Um, this is not certainly an accurate portrayal of Regency, um, and yet I think it's a really powerful one. It's a really good story, and I think that um, while it maybe not be for everyone, I do think for a lot of people it'll be really fun, but also I think bring out a lot of thoughtfulness. And so I definitely, this is one that I definitely would encourage people not to skip. Me, what do you what do you want people to walk away with? Um, just. I guess when it comes to the like the the color blindness versus uh, whatever else we were talking about, I forget the exact name, but like that it it matters, like you said, that black people are recognized for their for who they are without just kind of parse like uh, uh, skipping past it, uh, and we don't always like to be portrayed in these like hard stories of hardship and and all these things. So it's good to just see. Um, black people live in life in, in excellence and just being themselves and being celebrated for who they are. And to briefly add to that, I, I'm hopeful for the next season that they'll they'll continue that, but they'll also bring in more people of color. I think I saw at least a few Indian people or Southeast Asian people um, as well. And I, I hope that we can see more of that as well, because I think, you know, representation is good for all of us, you know? Um, and so that, that's my hope for the next series. And I think, um, I would add that, you know, so the, the three of us were well, well steeped in, in period pieces, um, particularly of the Regency variety, but lots of other eras as well. Um, and, and period pieces can be fun. You might think they're not for you. Um, but there's a lot there. I mean, Pride and Prejudice, the 1995 movie, or sorry, the 1995 miniseries, 
is is slow. It's a slow burn, but there's so much um, humanness in them. And I think Bridgerton, you know, because of the spectacle, it draws you in, but it's the humanness that keeps you there. The humanity, excuse me. Um, I would say that, that, you know, other period pieces, it's, it's, it's slow, but the humanity is there. Um, and, and they're worth investing your time in. And I'd say for, for me, uh, the last thing that I want people to know, um, is not, no, I think many of us know this about, about filmmaking, but, but with Bridgerton, it's been brought to light for me again, you know, movies and television make take a village to make and um spending time it can be really fun at least for me to spend time digging into the production of a show bridgerton is a show that we talked about this throughout the day or throughout the this episode that is very intentionally produced um you know i don't know if, if many of you uh, in the background noticed this character that has dreads um it's a guy with uh, dreads and they're blonde at the end he has shorter shorter dreadlocks and those dreadlocks were made. They they are faux locks made by a, a designer, uh, a, a, uh, a hair and makeup designer. Um, and just, you know, like all of everything in the show that you see is so intentional. And it can be a lot of fun to dig into the world of people who make that world come to life because the actors are just one part of it. Um, and so, you know, the, dig in, dig in and just find out more about this world and um, and, and the people who gave it to us. Um, so, so I think that's where that, that's what I'd want people to walk away with. Um, siblings, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for this uh, awesome conversation about Bridgerton. I'm, I was, I'm glad to have had you here. Yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time. Thanks for having us on. So that is it for my conversation with my siblings about the Netflix hit Bridgerton. I hope you enjoyed our conversation, and I know you can see how much we enjoyed the show. We're not alone in that either. Netflix announced that Bridgerton is its most watched show ever, with more than 82 million households streaming it in the first month. That's not it for the honors, though. The American Film Institute honored Bridgerton as one of the top television programs of 2020. The Satellite Awards announced Reggie Jean Page and Phoebe Denver have been nominated for Best Actor and Best Actress in a Drama Series. The NAACP Image Awards announced the nominations for Bridgerton for Outstanding Drama Series, Outstanding Actor in a Drama Series for Reggie Jean Page, and Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series for Ajoa Ando. And finally, the Screen Actors Guild's nominations were released just this week, and Bridgerton cast was nominated for Outstanding Performance by an Ensemble in a Drama Series, and Reggie Jean Page has been nominated for Outstanding Performance by a Male Actor in a Drama Series. Clearly, there's a lot of buzz about this conversation around Bridgerton and everything that it has to offer us. Season two has been announced too, so we have more Bridgerton to look forward to, and I'm excited to talk about that when it comes. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to see more from me, you can find me on my Instagram at 5TreeChristmas or on Facebook also at 5TreeChristmas. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, this has been a blast, and here's to the next review. <laughs>